It's that time of year again. Time for Legend Comics and Coffee's third annual Make-A-Wish fundraiser. As always, Legend is selling door prize tickets for $5 each, with 100% of the funds going directly to Make-A-Wish Nebraska. Each $5 donation gets you one entry on our annual prize drawing, featuring over $7,000 in prizes. This year, our grand prize will be a copy of The Walking Dead No. 1, CGC graded 9.6, valued at over $4,000. But the more we raise, the better the prize becomes. The grand prize winner will win copies of The Walking Dead 1 through 6, and we may even give away a second copy of No. 1 to one lucky donor. Tickets are on sale now, and the drawing will be held on the evening of Free Comic Book Day on May 3rd. There's no limit to the amount you can give, so go to legendcomicsandcoffee.com slash donate now, and please help us spread the word about this great cause. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! This is writer El Torres, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 158. It sounds like a landmark. It's so depressing. I know, It's right? so depressing. Of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 16th. My name is Matt Baum, and you can find me on the Twitter under the handle Matt Baumstein when I'm not riding off ceremonial robes and mystic tome purchases on my tax forms. I'm writing the comic speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not paying my taxes and fighting for freedom wherever there's trouble, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. You're never going to see it. Let's not lie. In this week's episode, you'll hear reviews of Superior Spider-Man number 312. That's not right. 31. Number 31. And Ghost Wolf number one. After that. We'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than a robot DJ in disguise can scratch a record during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be checking out the Blood Moon and using eldritch magic to glean the secrets of next week's comics. And then I'm the DJ and he's the rapper. That's right. The comic pushers are back rapping about hardcore comics over hardcore drum beats. But... Before we bust out the ROM Space Knight helmet bong and kick this 420 celebration into high gear, let's wish everybody a happy Earth Day slash Record Store Day slash Easter, and then we can talk about this week's big news. That's a lot going on. Yeah, big weekend. We got big news! DC has revealed the fate of Dick Grayson following the events of Forever Evil. Spoiler alert, he's not really dead. He choked on a chicken bone and died. Dick will return in a new series called Grayson. It's not called Dick? It's not called <laughs> Dick. <laughs> it sucks. Debuting in July, but don't expect to see him back in the Nightwing costume. Grayson will feature Dick in a new role as an undercover spy for Spiral, an organization introduced in the pages of Batman Incorporated. How exactly one goes undercover when one's secret identity has been broadcast worldwide by a group of supervillains has yet to be determined. The series will be co-written by Revival and Hack Slash scribe Tim Seeley and Tom King, a former CIA counterterrorism officer what? and author of the superhero novel The Once Crowded Sky. Huh. Justice League Dark's Mikhail Janin will handle the book's art duties. In an interview with USA Today, King said, quote, He's doing something that's going to cause pain to his friends and family, but he believes in the cause. 
that tension between having to do something good, but having the cost of it bring pain to his family. It's driving him a little crazy. So Matt, are you interested in seeing Dick Grayson make a comeback like this? Or are you wishing he'd stuck to the code name and tights? I don't know. I mean, I love Nightwing and there was nothing wrong with the Nightwing book. It was one of like the few solo titles on the new DCU that I still really enjoyed. This sounds interesting and props to Tim Seeley for getting a big job like this. Right. That's cool. He's a good guy and he writes good stuff. I guess I'm curious. I have to see what's going to happen because yeah. I love Dick Grayson so much. I mean, I guess I love Nightwing. I love Nightwing as I a do character. Too. But and I don't want to come off as like a jerk. It's just like mm, D, new DC. No, no, no. It's nothing. It's nothing to do with with the DC. Like I yeah. enjoyed the character of Nightwing even in the new 52. I guess the test will be, do I care as much about Dick Grayson out of costume as I do in costume? That's what they're going to have to sell. That could be tough. But I think it's an interesting take on the character. Yeah, I like Mikhail Janin a lot. Yeah, and so... Or Michael. I think it's just Michael. Maybe. It's just spelled weird. Yeah, that could be. He's like a rapper. Yes, right. Like a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that this should be fun. But like you said, it's going to take a little bit to sell the concept of Nightwing, of Dick Grayson outside of Nightwing. Yeah, if they can execute it well, could be really cool. All right. In Hollywood news, scalped. The critically acclaimed Vertigo series by Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra has become the latest comic property to be optioned for television, and it is about goddamn time. Scalped tells the story of Dash Bad Horse, an undercover FBI agent that returns home to take down a crime ring in the reservation where he grew up. According to a story from The Hollywood Reporter, WGN America will air the show, which will be written by Dark Blue and Confidence screenwriter, Doug Young. I haven't seen either of those and I have no idea. Dark Blue was like an undercover cop drama on television. Didn't see it. Uh, Confidence, I believe, is a film. Uh, I haven't seen either. Okay. WGN is new to the hour-long drama game with its first show, Salem, premiering this Sunday. Joe, do you think it's weird that a show like Scouts will air on a network primarily known for Cubs games and the Bozo the Clown show? Yes, it is weird. It's a little weird. (laughs) But... WGN America is a national affiliate. That's why we in Omaha got to watch the Bozo show and Cubs games. They're the reason I'm a Cubs fan. Growing up. I was waiting for Transformers to come on. (laughs) Exactly right. The instinct for people will be that Scalped is too gritty to come on to. That's where I was going to go. Basic cable My problem with this is Scalped is filthy, nasty, violent, and it, it is one of the meanest, nastiest comic reads Ever. I loved it. I totally loved it. It was the first time I met Jason Aaron and I've loved him ever since. If they can pull off something that's uh, like if AMC can do it and FX can do it. Yes. Scalped is like hard R. It's right. Filthy. But like this should be I I, like scalped could be somebody's true detective. Sure. And I don't think it's going to be WGN's true detective. um, I saw the promo for that Salem show and it looks pretty dark. I mean, it looks gross. gross. Scalped is next level it is right the comic is next level but there's no reason why they can't tell that story minus the cussing i'm not just talking about the cussing there was nudity there was extreme violence sure but uh, but they basic cable shows have gotten away with that like some breaking bad and, and justified i'll give you that i'm just not maybe i'm not giving wgn enough credit because we haven't seen anything from them yet. Sure. I'm going to check right, out right. that Salem show. I, it looks interesting. I think we're kind of stuck in the mindset that outside of HBO, right. a show can't be gritty right? Uh, or it can't be adult. And, and that's no longer the case. 
Uh, I mean, it can't have boobs in it, but it can probably be close in tone, right? Without being an R-rated film. I hope so, because I really loved Scalped. It is it, it is a complete question mark, because like you said, nobody knows anything about WG yeah. in America outside of their syndicated yeah, stuff. Yeah, we'll see. So it's kind of a big swing for a network that's just getting started with dramas. Good baseball reference. Boosh. That was good. Thank you. If the moon were made of spare ribs, <laughs> would you eat it? Finally, Dynamite Entertainment has announced that superstar writer Warren Ellis will be relaunching their Superpowers line just in time for the publisher's 10th anniversary. Dynamite's Superpowers titles featured Golden Age characters like the Black Terror and the Green Llama transplanted to the modern day. In a press release, Ellis said, quote, I've long been fascinated by the period in comics that produced these characters, and I'm very much looking forward to working out the strange atmospheric take on the weird thriller that they inspired. No further details have been given. For example, the name of the son of a bitch that asked for this. <laughs> Matt, what do you think? Look, I love Warren Ellis. And one of my favorite things that I love to see him do is just Warren Ellis unleashed. And this sounds like Warren Ellis unleashed. I don't know shit about the black terror or the green llama. I read the superpowers book. I found it frankly uninteresting. And if he can inject some life into that, there's no reason those characters can't be cool. And if anybody can make them controversial, scary, good, bad, you know, just plain old interesting. I think Warren Ellis can do it. I don't care about the Green Hornet either, but not the Green Hornet. The Green. No, Llama. I know, but like for example, oh, okay. When they said Mark Wade's going to write the Green Hornet, I checked it out, and I didn't care. <laughs> but but the point is, I checked it out, right? And I guess my only my problem is is that they cranked out so much of that Project Superpower stuff. That's not the character's fault. No, no, no. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the characters. It's that Dynamite has tried this before. And it kind of just petered to a halt. But let's look at the names now, that were attached to it. Like you had, they, they build it as Alex Ross's superpowers. And it was like Alex Ross painted the covers, you know, like, and I'm not, not to take anything away from the guy that wrote it. He did a perfectly good job. It was not a bad main story, but they definitely went off in a different direction and put out minis for each of these characters that nobody really read or cared about. I think Warren Ellis can make this interesting and I'm willing to give this a chance because I, because I love Warren Ellis so much. I'm just wondering if they were going to go after Warren Ellis, was Warren Ellis really like yearning to do a black terror or a green llama story? Probably not. Or, or did they offer him creative freedom on a project? My question is why didn't they do something new? Why isn't it something new? I think they're offering him the keys to a universe and that's what he sees as the reason to do this. Sure. And I mean, because literally no one's going to read this and be like, the Green Llama would never do that. You know, I mean, (laughs) it's not like he's jumping on Green Lantern. He's jumping on the Green Llama. No, it's true. And like like you said, I don't want to necessarily poo poo it. Like Dynamite does what they do well. Yeah. It's just that I am not super interested in a lot of that sort of thing. So if Warren Ellis can come in and breathe new life into them, then I'm all for it. And like we said, at the very least, I'll check it out. There you go. I I think this is going to be fun. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything you think we missed this week, hit us up on the THN forum where you can keep up on Harvey Locust's fan fiction of the green alpaca and the black scariness. Man, it is getting really, really creepy. (laughs) I'll tell you what. 
It sounds really familiar too. Like super like Yeah, I can't place it where it came from. Reminiscent of something <laughs> I was just talking about. Every Friday, Warren Ellis whispers the question of the week into Joe Patrick's ear and it's he true. posts it on the THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at twitternerd.com. Joey, what did Warren Ellis tell you to ask the listeners this week? Listen, you know it's terrifying. Do you know how hard it is to come up with something coherent from that nonsense? Oh, I bet. This week's question, as best as I can understand it. What is your favorite comic book couple? Oh. Let's shake off last week's downer of a question and make with the romance. Yeah, we really upset everybody. I was upset after. People were feeling their feelings really hard. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype panel is two-headed nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. But... Keep it short, three minutes or less, or you'll get cut off by our Google overlords. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, but again, keep it concise because Matt Bomb does not have any patience for bull. It's true. The THN overlord will cut you off. Remember, we're looking for one answer. One. Don't rattle off your top 10 favorite comic book couples. Just one. Because everyone else is calling in with their favorites as well. You know who you are. And your initials are Tony Duggan. (laughs) (laughs) If you need more time than three minutes or you want to list your top 10 favorite comic book couples, you can write to your heart's content at the question of the week section of the THN web forums. Matt just mentioned them. Yeah, it's great stuff. We're going to mention them again. We're going to talk about it. At least 10 or 15 more times. whole goddamn time. Joe and I roll up two of this week's new comics and smoke them. Joe, how skunky was your read? It was the stickiest of the icky drug reference. This week I'm reviewing Superior Spider-Man 31 from Marvel Comics, scripted by Christos Gage from a plot by Dan Slott. What? Yeah. What? With art by Giuseppe Camancoli and Will Sliney. What is that? I don't know, but I didn't notice it until I reread it for this review. I had no idea. Yeah, I had to look at the title page. The finale of the Superior Spider-Man storyline is finally here, and the Green Goblin and his army have set New York ablaze. No one is safe, but following the events of last issue, super spoilers. Oh, yeah. Big time spoilers, guys. Otto Octavius is gone, and Peter Parker, the one true Spider-Man, has returned. I had a nice chat with Keith Silva the other day. He wanted to bounce some of his thoughts. He's a sweet guy. Yeah, he wanted to bounce some of his thoughts off of me in preparation for his review for the Panel Culture podcast. You should check it out. They are swell fellas. Good show. They're Canadian. They can't help that. Keith is a smart guy. very sweet. Talking to Keith really did help me put my thoughts on this issue into perspective. While I loved this crazy ride as a whole, I felt that this final installment failed to bring closure to some of the elements of Otto's story while rushing to clear the deck for Peter's new series. I'm really glad you said that. I'm going to say it a few more times, so buckle up. Buckle up, bonehead. (laughs) I loved this issue as a resolution to the Goblin Nation arc. The various threads of the story are resolved in an exciting and satisfying way as the true architects of the Goblin's plot are revealed. But as a conclusion to the story of Otto Octavius, the superior Spider-Man, I found it very unsatisfying. Aside from Peter's constant attempts to explain Otto's behavior to the supporting cast, Doc Ock's presence is barely felt. And the one part of Ock's story that needed the most attention, his relationship with Anna Maria, isn't resolved at all. Her only function in this story is to act as the Green Goblin's spider bait. Maybe Slot will touch on this situation in Amazing Spider-Man. But 
I don't really expect them to do a whole lot of looking back. I can't see them dredging that back up. Yeah, I don't know how they can. There's a backup story here written by Christos Gage and drawn by upcoming Spidey 2099 artist Will Sliney. It continues the fast forward reestablishment of Peter's story. And once again, Mary Jean exits Peter's life and he and his supporting cast move back toward a familiar status quo. There are things that Otto did as Spider-Man that can never be justified, but somehow relationships will be reestablished and actions will be ignored. At least that's how it seems with the way the creative team ends this issue. Goblin Nation began with a 31 day time jump. Instead of leaping forward, maybe the story needed more time to really deliver a worthy conclusion to Doc Ock's story. It sounds like I hated it but I didn't. I'm just disappointed in the way the more personal elements, which were the most important parts of the story for me, were wrapped up. The lead story featured some impressive art by Giuseppe Camoncoli, and the issue wasn't completely without merit. Like I said, I did enjoy the wrap-up of the Goblin stuff. Yeah. Like, I thought that as a five-part arc, that was fun. I totally agree. And there was really cool stuff that happened here. I loved seeing Spider-Man 2099, yeah. like, side-by-side side with Spidey, and they're both kicking ass. Like, that was fun. Yes. So I'm still giving this a buy it because I loved the Superior Spider-Man story overall. And I can't imagine reading it or recommending it without the conclusion. I mean, if you're going to read Superior Spider-Man, you're going to read this issue. In fact, you need to read this issue. But that is the problem with our particular grading scale. If I were grading it on a different scale, I'd probably give it a B minus because it is just barely above average. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, my expectations were sky high. But they were based on the way that Slot and company continued to blow me away issue after issue. Now, I'm hoping Amazing Spider-Man number one delivers a bigger punch than this issue did because it just did not. No, I'm with you. It did not bridge the two series the way I wanted it to. And it really just kind of shoved all the ah, crap in the corner. Yeah. So that Peter could go, oh, um, Aunt May, uh, I'm real sorry. Uh, uh, you know? So what's your rating? Like he what, always does. What's your rating? I said, I said, I said buy it already. You're giving it a buy it. I am because you can't have the you can't have the superior superior Spider-Man story without this. Here's why I'm giving it a skim it. Issue 30 was so good. And the final page where Peter Parker's back and he stand he's standing and his fists are clenched and he's wearing the old Spider-Man costume and he says, My turn. I made a noise. I out loud was like, oh f yes. <laughs> you know, like Peter is back, you know, like, oh man, this is so great. I instantly missed Otto Octavius when I read this story. I instantly missed him and I totally agree. They brushed it off and just sort of went, yeah, Peter's back, which, and maybe he's obviously going to be dealing with things for a while now. There's going to sure. be repercussions and so forth, right. but no, I'm with you. I, I, I'm with you where like this just felt, it wasn't bad. It was fine. It was a perfectly well-executed end to any Spider-Man story, but the superior Spider-Man story was so big that I needed something else, and I need some closure for Doc Ock. I need to know where he went. I don't feel like on. there was any closure for Doc Ock at all. Nothing. Zero. I mean, now maybe they're going to touch on that in the Amazing Spider-Man, which but I'm sure. But don't you think this was the place for it? No, I agree. I, I totally think. Like, That's why did we have a backup story not written by Dan Slott? That was all about Peter apologizing to Aunt May and breaking up again with Mary Jane or whatever yeah. the f*** it was. Like, I'm being more harsh on it than you are. I'm giving it a skim it. I, and I'm not giving it a skim it because, I mean, I, I guess if you really want to split hairs, it's getting my, like, weakest bias, right? Because it's better It's better than a book that's just meh. Right. No, I agree. I but, agree. And it was like, 
and Communicoli did a great job here. Slot right. did a great job here. Like it was a perfectly fine Spider-Man story. I needed something bigger for the end of the Superior Spider-Man. I needed something way bigger. It's not. I, it's, it's not even necessarily that I needed something bigger. I think what I needed was for Peter picking up his life again to not be in this issue. I, I need. Okay. I need That's Peter fair. to solve the problem, and maybe give me a cliffhanger where Aunt May's super pissed right and and then what happens like i didn't need pages and pages of peter explaining lying because yeah he can't tell her what really happened he's basically lying again and it just it's like it's hitting that it's hitting that reset button that marvel always does they yes. get spider-man up to a point of change and then they're like whoa, 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 whoa dial it back yeah no i agree and this is as far as we got like we got almost well these came out super fast so we got at least two good years, maybe a little bit more of this story, which is huge. Yeah. But to not like to not have a moment where Anna Maria finds out that her version of Peter is gone. Right. Like she's just out there somewhere expecting Peter to come home to her. And even the way that the book ended, it was like, I mean, spoiler alert. It's like Peter going, Oh my God, Otto Octavius was totally in love with this girl. But, but he lets her walk off. Yeah. Then he's just like, there's still hope. That sucks. That is the worst. (laughs) And so I needed, I needed Octop, I needed Octavius's personal stuff to be the focus. I needed the, I needed Peter's acknowledgement that Doc Ock made a go at living a good life or whatever. Right. To be the focus, not so much Peter's like scrambling to rebuild his own relationships. That's what Amazing Spider-Man number one is for. Right. You know, here you could have just had the fight scene, the ending of the Goblin Nation. He takes him down, whatever, so on and so forth. And then Peter going, oh, now I got a real mess to deal with. And we go on from there. Whatever. Regardless. I was disappointed. I was a little disappointed myself. But overall, as as a whole... Superior Spider-Man was amazing was an amazing story. It really was. It really was. Matt, what did you review this week? This week I read Ghost Wolf number one from Amigo, written by El Torres with art by Siku. Sure. (laughs) A couple of code names, I guess. I don't know. Here's your solicit, the full saga of the ghost wolf, the spirit of vengeance of the northern wastes. When the sons of Kor lost their courage, they were swept up by the wild tribes. But there was one man that decided to fight and paid with his life. He will become the vessel for the long forsaken spirit of vengeance, the ghost wolf. I know what you're thinking, and I was thinking it too. Sounds like a ghost rider werewolf story and kind of is, but stay with me here. After reading this list, I was guessing this was a Native American spirit of vengeance, but man, was I wrong. The story takes place in a fictional Northland inhibited by kind of Viking race plagued by a cannibalistic older tribe. The narrative here is told as a flashback from the point of view of one of said Vikings taken as a slave by the cannibal tribe, the Bahach. His flashback begins with a story told to him as a boy by his shaman grandfather. The story is the origin of the ghost wolf, and it has a very Gilgamesh fable feel to it that details a man and a wolf fighting, and then the man sparing the wolf's life, and then they team up and they fight a similar group of evil tribesmen, but this was happening thousands and thousands of years ago. We then flash forward to the present where we see the origin of the new ghost wolf to protect its peoples against evil once more. Siku, the artist, is a name that's new to me, but I did a little digging, and he may or may not be 
and I apologize for this, but I'm going to totally butcher this. Ajibayo Akansiku, who has done some, ex- who has done extensive work for 2000 AD. Again, I can't confirm this. <laughs> so if anybody and knows, why are you even making let me that know. leap? Like what, what made you leap? Because that. he was linked to it through something else. So I was like, oh, well, right. maybe that's him. His style reminds me of a less busy Kevin O'Neill with hints of early Mike Mignola. And I really, really liked what he was doing. I was going to say Mike Mignola crossed with Pete Craig Russell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He doesn't overcrowd his panels, but instead he lets his intense colors supply the backdrop and does a fantastic job bringing a very mythological feel to this book. El Torres also writes Rogues for Amigo, which is a title I haven't read much of, but what I did read, I really liked. His story here is simple, but it's very effective. He's writing a new mythology, and he's letting the artist Siku carry a lot of the weight rather than smashing long, rambling fictional history into the reader's face. This was just an excellent read that I would suggest for fans of Conan or Thor or any good fantasy storytelling Props to Amigo, who's putting out some really, really good products right now. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. Yeah, man. I thought it was totally Bahachin. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> it's terrible. You're welcome. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I liked it. I really liked it a lot. I, I Amigo comics are very strange. Like, they put out stuff that I absolutely do not care about <laughs> they put out some stuff that i've liked uh, a lot of it a lot of it like i've that tried, westwood witches mini that was good see westwood witches i was just like eh, it's not my thing it's not my cup of tea rogues i've tried it was just like how often can we get this lady topless you know i mean there i'm sure there's more to it than that you're afraid of boobs i'm not i'm not and i'm sure there's more to it than that it's just an impression and there's perhaps way more a wrong one but I totally dug this. I thought it was great. It was fun. It was simple and it was fun. I loved the art. Um, the prelude is drawn by somebody else. I loved that art too. Yeah. And if you read the back matter, El Torres talks about how he tried to publish this once before, like in Spain when he was first getting started. So maybe that's where that prelude came from. Could be. Regardless, it's rad. Give yeah. it a buy it. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Superior Spidey number one and a double buy it for Ghost Wolf number one. Of course, we want to know what you Heroes Reborn and Viking Spirits of Vengeance thought of these comics. So break up with your dwarf, avenge your peeps, and then spank us with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN Forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. this Saturday, so Matt and I decided to invite two of the baddest DJs the comics world has ever known for a fastest scratch turntable battle. Wiki wiki whack. So prepare yourselves for a head-to-head DJ battle as the Decepticon's very own Soundwave takes on the JSA's Airwave on the Wheels of Steel as we review 10 of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Storm Age, number one from IDW. You remember in the movie Super 8 when that chubby kid kept saying how wizard everything was? And no. You're an <laughs> a**hole. And you were all like, wizard's not a thing, dude. Yeah, that's kind of what's going on here in comic form. A decent art by Ray Dillon. He's but good. The characters look like Bratz dolls. Ooh. And I can't tell if they're supposed to be in elementary school or high school. Are they sexy? So, <laughs> like- 
they are like super good looking, but they also look like little kids. I don't oh, know how okay. else to describe it. They're Ooh. like rat dolls. Ooh, that sounds uh, uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> the Harry Potter meets Last Starfighter vibe is kind of interesting, but it needs to be a little less precious before it hooks me. Skim it. Dr. Solar, Man of the Atom, number one from Dynamite. Writer Frank Barberi takes on the latest of the Gold Key relaunch titles with help from artist Joe Bennett. This one jumps right into the action without much explanation at all, but it totally works. Instead of seeing a godlike Doc Manhattan character, we see a hero in trouble and his scientist partner powerless to help him. This had a great 1980s sci-fi feel to it, and even Bennett's art had a very throwback Dave Gibbons look. I'm totally on board. This was fun as hell. Buy it. Ultimate Spider-Man number 200 from Marvel. Brian Michael Bendis, David Marquez, Sarah Pacelli, David LaFuente, and Mark Bagley unite to celebrate the life of Peter Parker and give us a glimpse of what might have been. This book continues to be the sole argument for the continued existence of the Ultimate Universe. Absolutely wonderful. Buy it. Transformers Windblade number one from IDW. Every once in a while, I like to check in with IDW's Transformers franchise, and every time I do, I want to read more. Here we get the story of Windblade, a female city speaker tasked with talking to Metroplex, the last city on Cybertron. The story here by Margaret Scott was excellent, and Sarah Stone's art is perfect for the Transformers universe. I think this is the first female writer-artist team on a Transformer comic. Right. That's totally awesome. Good for you, girls. And I really like the idea of Metroplex, the Titan, being like so above everyone else that it takes a certain kind of a Transformer to even understand what's going on with them. This is a really good book. I'm giving this a bias. Sisters are doing it for themselves, man. Translucid, number one from Boom! Coheed and Cambria's Claudio Sanchez is back. He can't be stopped! With a story about what drives a man to put on a mask and fight crime. I have to confess that I got a little confused with the time jumping, but overall I thought this was really solid. Sanchez joins Gerard Way and Mark Resnicek in their quest to prove that comics created by celebrities and musicians can be good too. Those are all musicians. Yeah, but they're celebrity musicians, Uh, right? Whatever. Buy it. I don't think Mark Resnicek is a <laughs> No. Hulk number one from Marvel. Mark Wade continues his fantastic run on Hulk with new artist Mark Bagley on the story of who shot Bruce Banner. Bagley is doing some of the best work I have seen from him here, and Wade sets up the first issue perfectly for new and old Hulk readers. Plus, the twist on the last page was just great. How did no other Hulk writer think of this yet? Totally impressed. Buy it. Sinestro, number one from DC. I'm not sure why DC decided that this is what people wanted, but I can't deny that it's completely gorgeous. Dale Eaglesham does his usual amazing job on art, and Cullen Bunn delivers a decent script, but I'm so disconnected with what's happening in the Lantern books, of which there are already far too many many to care. I might try to stick with it for a bit, but it's the creative team that's the draw here, not the character. Skim it. Mercenary Pig, number one from Azern. 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 I think it's Azern. Writer and artist Tom Arvis brings readers the story of one irradiated pig that's not going to stand for inhumane treatment by big pork farming. (laughs) This was a fun 70s EC-inspired comic and actually an informative look at modern pork farming as seen through the eyes of a mutated man pig out for vengeance. If you buy only one comic... 
with a panel of full frontal mutated man pig nudity. It has to be Mercenary Pig number one. Buy it! Does it? <laughs> oh, man. It was actually a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. San Hannibal number one from Pop! Goes the icon. Given Diamond Comics distributors' order threshold requirements, I was really surprised to find this weird little neon noir mystery story created and published by Complete Unknowns gracing the shelves at Legend this week. I totally loved it. Great monochromatic art by J.D. Faith and Jesse Snavlin. Buy it. I read it. I really liked it's it, too. radical. This was kick-ass. Yeah. Ultimate FF number one from Marvel. Always been a huge fan of what-if stories and alternate universes, but the ultimate you seems to have completely lost me. There's nothing wrong with the execution of this comic other than new readers hoping to jump into the ultimate you will definitely be lost. And the story didn't do anything for me. I didn't care for the design of the characters much at all either. Everybody was like purple and blue and overly designed. It just didn't do much for me. Oh, and Danny catches Machine Man. What the f*** is that? I don't... <laughs> I don't understand. Skim it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of the Hulk waking up in the middle of brain surgery, as seen in this week's Hulk number one from Marvel Comics. That hurts, man. I can relate. I was right there. <laughs> really? Yeah, my brain was never the same. <laughs> that explains so much. There was some excitement in the THN Observatory this week as we settled in for a viewing of this past Monday's lunar eclipse. While joined by John Jameson and Moon Knight, not only did we get an amazing view of the blood moon, but after Satana jumped out of the darkness and ritually murdered Manwolf, and we all bathed in this mystically altered blood, we were treated to visions of next week's comics. Joe, wipe the blood from your face and tell the kids what you're picking for next Wednesday. It's dark. Yeah. Well, it's Blood Moon, man. Once every hundred years. You gotta kill a werewolf. <laughs> Come on. All right, fine. <laughs> My pick for next week is Original Sin, number zero from Marvel Comics, written by Mark Wade with art by Jim Chung. Here's your solicit. Brace yourself. It's the prologue to the biggest Marvel series of the summer! Who is the Watcher? That's what Nova is wondering after his latest brush with the moon-dwelling enigma he's encountered before. But what he discovers will have a profound effect on the young hero as well as priming the pump for the most cataclysmic event in Marvel history. What, what did, he did he see? <laughs> I don't know. That was nice. Uh, yeah, I gotta see what he saw. I have to see what he saw. We all have to see. I know. Matt, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Eltingville Club, number one, from Dark Horse, written and drawn by one of my favorite writer-artist combos, Evan Dorkin. Here is your solicit. After 20 years, three Eisner Awards, and a smattering of hate mail, the Eltingville comic book, science fiction, fantasy, horror, and role-playing club is finally breaking up. When Bill's dream job in a comic shop turns into a nightmare for the club, more than bridges and membership cards are burned in a fiery fan-slash-tastic finale. I love Evan Dorkin. I love the Eltingville Club. And this guy has a perfect understanding of how nerds like us work. This is going to be fun. <laughs> it's fun, a dark reflection of our stuff. own tortured souls. It's true. <laughs> the THN Trade of the Week goes to Rocketeer Spirit Pulp Friction from IDW, written by Mark Wade with art by Paul Smith. Mostly. 
Here's your solicit. Will Eisner's The Spirit and Dave Stevens's The Rocketeer are two of the most beloved characters ever to grace comics that also have the at the beginning of their names. <laughs> and now these two great pulp-inspired heroes meet for the very first time. After a Central City alderman disappears and is found dead in Los Angeles. I don't even know what an alderman is. Me neither. I think it's like an ombudsman. <laughs> Commissioner Dolan, along with Denny Colt, a.k.a. The Spirit. I don't know what an ombudsman is. And Dolan's daughter, Ellen. I don't know no ombudsman either. Track out, uh, track out to the City of Angels to investigate. Meanwhile, Cliff Secord, the Rocketeer, consoles his sweetheart, Betty. I feel like it's a county assessor. Who is traumatized after accidentally discovering the politician's body. As the unlikely duo dive into the mystery, a deeper one unfolds, one that is masterminded by two of our hero's arch-villains. Hold on tight for a rocket-propelled double dose of danger. I don't even know what our city councilmen do, come to think about it. I, who's our mayor? I, it's a woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mark Wade and Paul Smith did a bang-up job on this. It was a ton of fun. I read the whole thing. Joe Patrick did not. You should read it, though. It was great. I should. I mean, I, I like it. It was like superhero babe swap because they both have like super hot babes <laughs> and they got stuck in separate situations with each other's respective babes. It was a, it was an episode of ABC's Pulp Hero Wife Swap. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to reading next week. So if the blood moon didn't drive you to insanity, let us know what you're planning on reading over the THN forums. Yeah. Baboosh. On the pages, cause I remember I'm not a drug user, a comic master, is what you should choose. Hugs adore me, listeners love me, even the ones that Matt offends weekly. Like the credit I bring to the show, the reason why, nerd, I think you know, so let's go, cause. Folks, I'm not here. There's no magic of editing. You can hear me do the fade out. That was one take. One take. Hell yeah. Unbelievable. And the comic pushers are back and we're slinging highly Thank God. addictive comics to impressionable children. This week, two stuttering chicken head skeezers, one by the name of Ian Eppenbaugh and the other by the name of Andy Wynn asked us essentially the same question. Here is the question as phrased. Here's the question as phrased by Andy on our Facebook page. Hi guys. Long-time listener, first-time poster. I'm a huge Marvel fan from way back. But all the talk of a possible Doctor Strange in the MCU, that's Marvel Cinematic Universe, has made me realize I've never really read any major Doctor Strange story arcs. Where should I start? What's the best run? Any great modern arcs? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I'm going to start with something from the late 80s. And we were just talking about Warren Ellis. This was my first encounter with Warren Ellis back in 1988. It was a story called Earthquake Logic from the pages of Doctor Strange Volume 2? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was technically volume two. It, it doesn't matter. You're not going to find it in print. So right. It's going to be really it's hard the to Doctor find strange comic from that era. It was the Dr. Strange ongoing from that era. It, it was drawn of, by Mark Buckingham, right? Yeah. Mark Buckingham drew it. It was a story called earthquake logic and it was absolutely amazing. There were these terrifying creatures that lived in what was essentially reality and we could not see them. They lived like me on the edge of our senses and Dr. Strange knew they existed and they were planning on coming through and he basically fooled humanity into not seeing them for even longer because if we see them, they gain power and with they gain power, they take over the world. It was creepy and gross and it was awesome. That's cool. Kick ass Mark Buckingham art too. Joe Patrick, you got one? Yeah, I mean, I think the big one that modern Doctor Strange fans will point to is the Brian K. Vaughn miniseries, The Oath, yeah. which was drawn by Marcos Martin. It was beautiful. It was uh, the story of Doctor Strange trying with all of his power to cure cancer because Wong, his faithful manservant, comes down with a wicked form of the cancer. Yeah. And it's just a great five-issue mini Perfectly distills what's awesome about Doctor Strange. You get some Night Nurse in there because that was right around the era that Love the Bendis was. Uh, Bendis kind of brought back Night Nurse as a as a supporting character in Daredevil. It's awesome. Doctor Strange: The Oath. It's in print. And another one that I would point to that is a classic that I don't know that people talk about too much anymore was the Doctor Strange: Doctor Doom. Triumph and Torment graphic novel. Oh, that was so good. Drawn by Mike Mignola. Yes. It was originally... That was the 80s as well. It was, yeah. It was originally published... Marvel had a series that was called... It was like an ongoing series called Marvel Graphic Novel. Uh, It was where the New Mutants first appeared. It was where a lot of stuff happened uh, that was later brought into the comics. They were oversized, like originally published in that format. And it is the story of Doctor Doom coming to the Doctor Strange and asking him for help rescuing his mom's soul from Mephisto. So they go into hell to rescue Dr. Doom's mom from the devil. So good. Do I need to say more than that? It's Mike Mignola. No, it's not really modern. I would say 89 is pretty old. He he didn't necessarily ask for only modern. Right. And it does stand alone. I mean, like it's something you can just read and you'll go. Yeah, it is a one shot and it's in print. I just looked it up the other day for a guy. It is in print in a a different format. Now it's, uh, I think you can get it in hardcover. Uh, and in softcover in the more traditional, you know, comic dimensions. But absolutely check that out if you are looking for a good Doctor Strange read. Doctor Strange the Oath. Unfortunately, Matt's pick, I don't know where you find that. Yeah, you'd have to dig through some back issues. It's They're not in print right now. I wonder now. if they have it on the Marvel Unlimited app. Quite possibly. I don't know off the top of my head. I, I mean, you can check that and out. And if they are, they're probably cheap. I think you can get a free trial of the Marvel Unlimited app if you if you look it up, if you don't already have it. I would also throw at you Brian Michael Bendis' New Avengers run with Doctor Strange on the team. It was very Doctor Strange-centric, and this is where we first began seeing that thing that Bendis can't resist doing is every time Doctor Strange works a spell, like does his hand or something, it says like, flaming book of the Vashanti page, oh, whatever. Um, I, call it, I call it the iron fist. It's, it's, it's the same so, thing happened in Brubaker and fractions. Iron. It fist. is so cool. And I loved Dr. Strange on that team. His, this was the first new Avengers run where like Dr. Strange. No, it wasn't the first run. It was, was it the second one. It was. Yeah. It was, oh no, you're right. It's when Diodato, it was played. after civil war and all that. It was during, yeah. it was during, you know, the time where the new Avengers were kind of outlaws. It was a second new Avengers book. 
when they yeah. restarted it. Right. It was when the new Avengers were outlaws because they were living in yes. the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yes. They were hiding in the Sanctum Sanctorum and Dr. Strange was sort of leading the team almost at that time. And man, those stories were fantastic. We got to see some kick ass Dr. Strange action. Yeah. Stuart Eminem drew a lot of that yeah. stuff. I mean, it's a Mike good Diodato run. Mike drew sure. a lot of it. It was great. And there are some, I mean, like there are some Dr. Strange centric stories in that run. So you can look there and, and get a taste of the character, but you should also consider going back and reading the original, like the Steve Ditko trippy ass oh. psychedelic nonsense from the sixties, because a lot of that imagery that we recognize as part of Dr. Strange came from that right. era from Steve Ditko, right. Jason, the owner of uh, one of the co-owners at legend comics and coffee also recommends the early seventies. Yeah. Uh, or the mid seventies run where he took over his own book. Frank for the first Bruner time. and Steve Englehart. Yeah. Oh man, that book was so good. I own that entire run and I love it to this day. Yeah. I mean, it's Excellent like drugged stuff. out seventies wackadoo stuff. Totally nuts, but it's super psychedelic and fun. There is a Dr. Strange year one story of sorts just called strange. And it's written by J. Michael Straczynski. I did not love it. I don't recommend it. Yeah, I did not love it's it. It's not that it's bad. It's the thing that was typical of Marvel and other comic book companies in general at that time. It's like 2004. Where it was like a modern reimagining of the origin of Dr. You don't need it. Yeah. I am not interested. Skip it. So I'd give that a pass if I were you. Dr. Strange the Oath is a throwback to the Steve Ditko Dr. Strange it was for great. sure. It was great. Now I would like to say... Give us a new Doctor Strange series, please. I need more Stephen Strange in my life. You know, when I was talking to Jason about this, I mentioned that we were going to talk about it on the show, and we had a moment where we said to each other, has there not been a Doctor Strange ongoing series since the mid-90s? I don't think so. I think it's just been a series of minis. Yeah, he's popped up here and there, but no, there's been no specific Doctor Strange series since then. Huh. It's a bummer. Yeah. I'd like to see somebody take a crack at that. I would too. There is also a, an underrated miniseries. It's not a very long miniseries. It's called, it might also just be called Strange. I actually don't recall, but it's it's from the last few years. It's written by Mark Wade and it's got art by Emma Rios. And it is Doctor Strange after the events of World War Hulk, where he is no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. It was 2010. It was, training yeah. a new apprentice. A whole new ball game was the storyline. Yeah. And that was fun. It's it's good fun. Yeah, it was fun. It's a little, it's not necessarily representative of the traditional Doctor Strange, but it's a good story. Four issues. It was good. Yeah. Ian and Andy, thank you for the question. We hope that helps. And a lot of that stuff can still be found in print. And we'd like to know what you thought. Right on. If you need a recommendation from the Comic Pushers, you know where to find us. It's the THN Forums. The Comic Pushers section. Or you can send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Or you can just come down to the club and you'll see these two badass motherfuckers hanging out. <laughs> That's right. Surrounded by hot babes. Andy sent us a message on Facebook. There's all sorts of stuff you can do to get a hold of us. It's true. We're out there. It's true. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the annual 420 slash record store day slash Easter slash blood moon episode of THN. I'm exhausted. Uh, tell me about it. If you like to get high, spin tunes, bark at the moon, and celebrate Christian holidays inspired by pagans, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or the TuneIn app where we still need your iTunes star ratings and reviews, your Stitcher thumbs up, 
and a little heart on TuneIn because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. It's Bring it back. It's back. Thank you to our latest donor, Allison, who donated literally at the buzzer before we started I recording. Back, do we have any new donors? And he went, no. <gasps> Wait, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd like to help keep us in Hell's OG Kush and replacement screens for our vaporizer, you can make your drug reference. You can make your donation in any amount using our totally baked PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member whom we value just a little bit more than the rest of you. It's true. No, we love you all. But those guys a little bit more. We love some of you more. It's as easy as clicking the make this donation monthly and as little as a dollar a month really does help. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this skunky bag of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions. Hit us with your ask a nerd question. You can even hit us the trivia challenge or ask us to review your self-published comic. It can be printed. It can be digital. It can be written on a cocktail napkin. We don't care. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN. We really don't care. We don't care. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, write about your lycanthropic blood moon experience, or just rap about this week's comics. You know what? I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that middle one. I do. I don't need. Yeah. I want to hear what you ate. I don't. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather not know some things about some of you. Oh, I want to know it all. And I want pictures. Ugh. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribed to the show, you don't need to do anything. It will appear in your feed whenever we post it. It's like a miracle. Next week, it's time to play Take a Look, It's in a Book, when Matt and I review Andre the Giant, Life and Legend from First Second Books. If you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out Kevin Coffey's continuing saga, Batman Forever. It's fun. Saturday morning cartoons by The Credible Hulk this week. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? It's all about Power Rangers posers. Oh, man. Shows <laughs> like, that were trying to oh, capture the magic of Power Rangers. Power Rangers ripoffs. I love right. it. The ever controversial and, quite frankly, inflammatory yeah. ludicrous speed reviews by what. Aaron Myers. Every, and I can't believe we still publish it. By the time you are hearing this, there will be a brand new installment of Small Man Big Mouth. It's back. All about the return of Nightcrawler. I lost one of my copywriting jobs, so I have time again. Yeah. I'm also poor, and I might kill myself. Our weekly shout-out goes to Mother Earth, because it's motherfucking Earth Day, y'all. Word to you, Gaia, and the first gay superhero and protector of the Earth, <laughs> Captain Planet. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, most notably... 24, number one from IDW, which is going to fill in the gaps between Jack Bauer's last adventure and the new 24 series. I love 24. And if you do that, I do too. If you do pre order it, your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two headed nerd signing off. Come on, man. North Star. North Star was around before Captain Planet. Yeah, but he wasn't openly gay at that point. I think John Byrne did touch on it without actually coming out and saying. How does that work? Uh, there, there is some. There's a scene where 
uh, where North Star like hints at it, but without actually saying it. They're like, North Star's got a girlfriend. And he went, no, I don't. <laughs> wink, <laughs> well, wink. Well, I've got a friend. <laughs> no. <laughs>